1: Hello, you're listening to the BIP Show. BIP is for business, investing, and policy. That's what we're here to talk about. I'm Paul Colgan, director at CT Group. I'm here with James Whelan, macro strategist and investment manager at VFS Group. G'day, James.
0: G'day, Paul. Good to be here.
1: It is. Where are we today?
0: Today, we are not in Darlinghurst. The studios of Darlinghurst are just a bit off today. So, we are being hosted here by Redleaf Securities, a boutique wealth manager. Uh, Specialising in Australian securities, give them a plug because it put us up here, which is good. And also, uh, Jane Morgan Management uh, is here as well. Investment investor relations, doing good work in the Australian market. So, thank you so much for them for putting us up while uh, Darlinghurst is just uh, being renovated.
1: Yeah, very uh, <laughs> very good of them uh, to accommodate us. It's um, closer to my office, so I'm loving it. Um, yeah. Okay, joining us on the line from Amsterdam is Ken Vexler, managing director and chief investment officer at Acumen Management. How are you, Ken? Good morning, good
2: afternoon, good evening. I'm well, Paul. Uh, Scorching 30 degrees at 8 am here, so uh, very little to complain about.
1: At 8 am, gee. 8am it's
2: good news
1: hot day okay we're here in sydney recording this on the 6th of august 2020 don't forget to subscribe rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts now our guest this week is one of the country's best established commentators and analysts on the domestic economy particularly when it comes to government budget positions and the impact of fiscal policy uh, it's sherelle murphy senior economist today and zed uh, sherelle welcome to the show great to have you on Thank you very much, Paul. It's a complete pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to the chat and uh, having your expertise and insights on the show is particularly timely given the events of the past week. Uh, last week, we were um, joking that it might have been a sign of the bottom in markets when, um, or the top in markets when, when we we did a uh, a special show on the on the gold rally. Uh, mm-hmm. But just seven days later, it's amazing how far downhill things have gone in Australia. Victoria has declared a state of emergency introduced stage four lockdowns. The uh, impact is awful for Victorians and Victorian businesses. uh, And of course, the economic impacts of this are going to reverberate around the country. Um, Sherelle, how does this change the outlook? Uh, And a note, uh, ANZ revised its uh, growth projections uh, in recent days.
3: Yes, that's right, Paul. We did. Um, we revised them a week ago, but of course, that was before the lockdown, and so now they're out of date already. But um, forecasting in the Australian economy at the moment is like painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge. You know, as soon as you finish, you've got to go back to the beginning and start again. Um, but for what it's worth, we we did see, or um, uh, we are expecting um, a you know fairly dire outlook as you'd expect um, going forward. Um, The September quarter, however, should be a little bit better than the June quarter. And we uh, have a forecast um, of quarterly growth in GDP of 1.8 there. Now, that was 3.8 before the Victorian um, situation got worse. But then we're into negative territory again in the December quarter. um, And that's mainly because of the fiscal cliff. And we can talk about that a bit later if you like. But I guess particularly in response to what's happened with the stage four lockdowns in Melbourne, including, of course, that shutdown of a lot of businesses, We've taken um, our expectation on employment down to a fall of 50,000 through August and September. Um, And previously, we had a rise of 40,000. So essentially, you know, 90,000 jobs difference between what we are thinking before. So, you know, it certainly is a pretty big impact. And, you know, as we know, the, the Melbourne economy is about 20% GDP, Victorian economy, 25% GDP. It's it's a big impact.
1: And, of course, the the issue is um, just on tenterhooks. I mean, we have a, some idea now of how these um, lockdowns tend to go. Um, but, of course, uh, there's just no certainty in it. Um, you know, We just don't like those talks about whether uh, there's the Australian reporting today that the, this, uh, these cases could peak at 1,000 uh, per day or 1,100 per day uh, in a few weeks or in a few days in Victoria. It uh, doesn't look like anything like that today when we're recording. It was down back down to 400, but they've had a 700-plus day, uh, and we just don't know. So um, how do you think about that when you're trying to uh, forecast? Um, like you said, it's a bit like paint, painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge, but maybe you could take us into that a little bit further.
3: Yeah, that's right. It is. Look, it is difficult. Um, You know, we obviously are revising um, our thoughts on this all the time because, you know, we do have, we have had very certain changes so that additional, those additional weeks of lockdown in Melbourne are very material and we can measure that quite directly. But trying to predict beyond then um, as to what happens into the late into the September quarter and the December quarter, that's where it gets really tricky. And it's not just because of what we do with lockdowns, etc. It's how the government responds from a fiscal point of view as well. So, obviously we have seen many, many changes in policy from both the Commonwealth government and the state governments through recent weeks and it's likely we're going to see many, many more. So, Really, what the government does is a key determinant of how we think about our forecast going forward. And, of course, that's really difficult to predict. Um, All we know is that the government is proving to be quite nimble. It is continuing to put in extra payments or extend payments where – it sees it as necessary, and so to some extent, whenever we chop something off because there's a lockdown or conditions are worsening, we need to add on a little bit more in terms of our thinking about what fiscal policy will do. Therefore, what government spending will will do to help the economy. So, to some extent, the two offset each other.
0: Yeah. So, he's, uh, the basically saying the way the worse the story, the better the solution. If you or, or the um, you know the more emphasis will be on a solution. So, therefore. If I, That's I, I, right, James. I, I, yeah. I want to paint a little bit of a rosy picture if I can, um, not yeah, like me, yeah. but uh, uh, yes, yeah, so, so the, worse, the, worse, the worse it goes potentially, the better the upside on the other side, or at least at least the better the solution. And
3: That's yeah. right, at, at least in the short term, of course, You know, there's longer term ramifications from a lot of this, but yeah, there certainly will be responses from government, the government has proven that over and over again as as I say, not just the Commonwealth government, but the states as well. Um, and so, yeah, the worse it gets, then the, the more, um, I guess, aggressive the government responds.
0: Yeah, and a
2: 50,000... Ju- ju- yeah, go, go, go Kent, sorry. you oh, Sorry to interrupt. Oh, just just on that note, I suppose I was going to ask, you know, ultimately, how long is a piece of string, right? I mean, it's a naff question, but obviously for now and for the foreseeable, hopefully the government, you know, keeps doing what it's doing and, and responds in kind and maybe even probably... Uh, over-response, as it were, at least you know how we see it now. But and we'll get into it later from, from what I've seen in the um, in the chat. But I mean, you know, really, how, at what point do you sort of say, okay, well, the government's hit the wall. The fiscal response is, is now going to be either muted or uh, a lot less than you know than previously. And and how do you adjust for that? I suppose.
3: Yeah, it's another part of the, the 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 puzzle because as we as we look into the future, we do know that there is a lot of stimulus out there, and you know it, it, we probably haven't seen the whole impact of that yet either. Um, the thing that troubles me somewhat, though, is the fact that the government's own forecast suggests that we're only going to get about um, two hundred twenty thousand jobs over the next year compared to the 500, 600-odd jobs that we've lost already. So that suggests to me that even with all this stimulus in place, the government is is still sort of sitting in the situation where it sees the the economy um, softening quite dramatically. Um, And so, you know, what's the point in which they say, well, you know, we're going to jump in and we're going to do something about that as opposed to just having this forecast, living with it, and then hoping that the private sector picks up the slack?
1: Well, because the interesting question is, um, you know, if you add on, I mean, say we're talking about a million people out of work, right? Um, you add, you add back in, uh, I mean, it's just horrendous the numbers. <laughs> um, uh, mm. you, you add back in uh, a quarter of a million, um, so a quarter of a million people, but you've still got the drag of um, the the welfare um, bill for for you know keeping that those extra people. Um, getting from week to week. Um, so, so how do you, I mean, how, you know, um, and that's that's for, you know, the, the, the scale of these numbers becomes huge uh, in terms of the budget position, doesn't it?
3: It does. And, you know, we know that the budget position, uh, at least it was a couple of weeks ago, and it's, again, already out of date. But, you know, we're looking at deficits um, of around about $86 billion for 1920 and then $185 billion for the year after. Um, you know, the good news, I suppose, is that at least interest rates are low. It's actually quite cheap to fund that debt at the moment. Um, you know, we do have low debt relative to um, international comparison, you know, similar countries. Um, and, you know, I think it's quite difficult to argue that taking this kind of line of attack is, is not the right way to go. And, of course, I think, you know, the case is really that we need to spend more uh, from a fiscal point of view.
1: Yeah, I I don't think, um, interestingly, austerity um, was uh, a path that a lot of governments pursued after um, the GFC, um, but nobody's talking about it uh, uh, in in any way, shape or form uh, at Mm. the moment. Um, So um, can you talk a bit about GDP growth then um, next year? Um, so we'll be coming off a lower base, but um, I mean, is there any good news um, to look at there?
3: Yeah, look, it it is likely that we will see GDP um, be positive next year, so in other words, we will actually see some growth uh, into 2021. We've got a a year average forecast of 1% following a 3% fall, keeping in mind though that that doesn't actually include this last few weeks of um, uh, Melbourne, or or the Melbourne shutdown at stage four. But you know, we, we should, as we get into the March quarter of next year, start to see some positive GDP numbers as we come off that low base. Hopefully, as the lockdowns um, are, are, you know, we, we move through this series of lockdowns and we get back to something close closer to normality. Um, there's still going to be a lot of unemployment. Clearly, there's still going to be a lot of um, debt. There's still um, a lot of mess to clean up, but we will see GDP start to sort of slowly creep up there.
0: Uh, Cheryl, you said... Unemployment. What was the rate? So, with a fifty thousand fall in employment, what does that what does that actually put the percentage at? The unemployment rate.
3: Well, it, it probably sits somewhere above eight, eight and a half percent. The RBA has got a ten on it. You know, we wouldn't quibble with that. Um, and numbers. as we know, yeah, yeah, that you know, <laughs> it's quite difficult to forecast, as you know, <laughs> yeah. but you know the. Um, you know, before we'd be, you know, we'd be horrified at the sort of, you know, a one and a half percentage point difference in forecasts, but not anymore. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it looks, it, you know, it looks like we'll get that in, in terms of the official employ, unemployment number. But, of course, the effective unemployment number will be higher because we have people kind of in the labour force, but not necessarily um, uh, working or the other way about because of job keeper and how people are classified.
1: Where do you see that growth coming from? This the small amount of growth that that there's likely to be. Where do you see it coming from? Because um, you know um, the tourism sector is you know going kind of nowhere. Um, uh, education, uh, big question mark over it. Um, you know, um, lending for uh, for housing is up, but still down on where it was last year. So, um, what do you think? Um, Well, look, some of it will
3: just be because business is reopened. So, you know, there's just the sort of the return to where you were. But if you're looking at an industry by industry base, then, um, you know, there clearly are sectors that are, to some extent, um, winners, you know, in a a lot of ways out of COVID-19. And the tech sector really stands out. You you only have to look at the share prices of some of our our, um, uh, tech companies uh, to, to sort of see that. But um, you know, there's parts of health clearly that which will, um, or which are extremely uh, in demand and will continue to be. Um, even defence is an interesting one. The government has been putting more money into defence and has extended its budget there. Um, clearly, you know, to the extent that that will support a grand swell of manufacturing that could take that could go along with it. There, there's the emphasis on bringing production back on shore making ourselves a little bit more self-sufficient that's the kind of thing that, again that might help uh, help us in that recovery phase so there look there are some good stories and there's certainly some companies that are well set up to deal with this situation and those I guess is where the where the main job gains will be
2: can I can I just jump in and ask um, while I appreciate that there, there is a semblance of recovery or, or at least scope for one down the road and you know, it, it may not be as robust as we'd hope. Where does uh, ANZ, and I suppose, yourself, share uh, subsequently sit on the topic of uh, the Australian recession? I mean, largely, I don't know, things may be a bit different now, but it seems as though uh, everyone came to terms of the fact that finally Australia had a recession, uh, you know, obviously Q1 and bled into a, a bit of Q2, but then as instantly as, as, as Australia had a recession, apparently we were technically out of it and whatever else, uh, you can make numbers dance to pretty much any tune you play them, but to my mind, considering what's going on, I mean, you know, is Australia really out of this recession? And if not, or, or even if so, what's the trajectory really look like in real terms? Because everything, any growth that we're going to see is going to come off a low base. There's a million sort of caveats to it. The reality of it is it ain't looking that great, at least from where I'm sitting.
3: Oh, completely agree. And, you know, even although we can eke out small gains in GDP, our level of GDP is well below the path that it would have been on had this not happened. So, you know, we really and we don't even really get back to the levels of GDP that we were experiencing at the end of last year, right until the end of 2022. Probably even stretching that a bit further into 2023. So, yeah. I mean, I think this definition of recession is just kind of completely useless <laughs> at the moment, as in the two quarters yeah. of negative growth. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The way we're seeing it, you'll probably get a you'll get a negative. Well, we know we've got a, a negative in the March quarter. There's definitely a negative in the June quarter. We'll probably get a small positive in the September quarter, but unless we see a change in fiscal policy, we'll get a negative in the December quarter. So, it's not telling us anything. Um, Yeah, so I think it's more important to look at a a collection of factors together. So when you look at employment, you look at, um, I guess, domestic demand, you know, because to some extent, a lot of the growth that we'll also see will come through in exports. Mm. Uh, You know, you have to look at a number of indicators to get a real feel of whether we're in or out of recession. Um, It's not as simple as just two negative
2: quarters on GDP. Of course, yeah, yeah. And in relative terms, where do you think Australia sits in the global scheme of things, because I mean, look, I, I'm not calling for a global recession, but the impact of the last six months is well, it's, it's it's obvious and it's astounding, frankly. But in terms of, in real, I suppose, in relative terms, how how, how do you see Australia currently, and you know, the trajectory over, say, the next 12 months? <sighs>
3: Uh, look, I mean, despite the fact that it's been very painful here, obviously there are other countries where it's been much more painful and will continue to be. So, I think we probably look pretty good from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Having said that, you know, look look at China. You know, China's kind of bounced back pretty quickly um, and, you know, its trajectory kind of looks reasonably okay. So, it's it's a relative game, as you say. I think, you know, we will do well when we've got the health situation under control. That's where New Zealand's at. Um and it's uh, you know, there's a clear correlation between the management of COVID nineteen itself and your uh, I guess the speed at which you can return to something closer to normal. It's even if it's sure can be it, quite different.
0: The um the mask wearers versus the non mask wearers with regards to the way they dealt with it is is becoming too two separate recovery economies that, that that we're seeing in America sort of being plunged into everything that it's being plunged into mm. just based on the fact that they could not handle it properly. And look at the way that New Zealand handled it. They're on the other side up. And look at the way that Taiwan, Japan, China, wear a mask, come out the other side okay. That's 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 the basic sort of forecast. I mean, adding adding the Victorian lockdown into your numbers, I mean, th- th- there's got to be sort of – do you sort of have, have these uh, – like a dichotomy of, of if they don't handle it right – and they have to add on another four weeks god forbid you know what, what what could that potentially do
3: that's right i mean you're shaving you're you're shaving percentage points off gdp as a result it's that simple um and uh, you know that the the job losses that will go with it will be um even more extreme because of course the longer you're in lockdown the less likely it is that some of those businesses that were on the brink of coming back don't come back uh and you know that this is frightening for so many people. Um, small businesses, large businesses alike, to not know where you're going uh, must be just horrendous, um, and, and and to not sort of understand where your, you know, your next dollar is coming from and when it's coming. Um, you know, it's just horrendous for for so many.
1: It is. It, it, it absolutely is. And we might uh, pick up uh, on, on where uh, Europe is at, Ken. Uh, and um, I, I also got to have some interesting um, insights to share, I think, for some, for, from some research um, that we've been doing at CT Group. And we'll do that right after this break.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to The Bip Show. Uh, Paul Colgan here in Sydney with James Whelan. Uh, Ken Vexler is on the line from Amsterdam. And our guest is Sherelle Murphy, uh, Senior Economist at ANZ. Um, now, uh, Ken, um, how are things in, uh, in the Netherlands? Because uh, it looks like Germany and, and France are having second waves of their own.
2: Yeah, um, <coughs> look, I, I must admit to a little bit taking the eye off, uh, off the recent... Uh, off the ball recently in terms of data, but anecdotally, um, the Netherlands. Yeah, I mean the numbers have gone up a bit, probably like uh, Germany and France. But frankly, it, it it can't be any surprise. I mean, uh, despite the fact that you know air travel is down and, and train travel is down, whatever else. I mean this is a this is a continent landlocked for the most part, and Schengen borders are open, so people are travelling. Admittedly, not as much, but they are travelling for their summer holidays. So it's only, it's only logical that when they come back, they bring something back with them. Um, and so, yeah, we're, yeah, we're and seeing across Europe. we're not talking, uh, uh, she, Europe. cheese
1: and beer, yeah, yeah. Well, besides
2: cheese and beer, I mean, they obviously bring that back. But, uh, yeah, exactly. They, unfortunately, I mean, and look, I think to, to have believed any other, any other way would have been just naive. So we're definitely seeing a rise in numbers, and I think that's going to persist over the next probably four weeks. Well, hopefully that abates. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 not amazing. Let's put it that way.
1: And what about fiscal support, um, job support, all of that kind of thing in the major European economies? What's happening?
2: Um, well, the numbers announced. I mean, you know, the, there was the great European rescue package, and the Frugal Five or the Frugal Four or the the Thrifty Three, whatever, um, have have more or less not not succumbed, but they got what they wanted out of it, and and Europe is once again saved, and that's why the euro dollar is higher, apparently, and whatnot. Um, the response has been a bit slower than it has been elsewhere, but you've got 27 member states to negotiate. They finally got there, which is a positive. Um, so I think, you know, on a scale of, on a global scale, I think the numbers are okay in terms of what they're actually doing. It's going to be more a function, as, as is everywhere else, the uh, the transmission mechanism. But right now it looks, looks as though they're doing all right, as far as I'm concerned.
1: So this fiscal support, all these fiscal support packages are just so uh, incredibly important to... Um, to I think people's perceptions and um, Sherelle uh, in the ANZ uh, Consumer Confidence Weekly Consumer Confidence um, survey um, that uh, you and the team put out um, I think it's uh, been really interesting there the divergence between people thinking about like the the, the how the economy looks and how their own finances uh, are looking
3: Yeah that's that's right Um and, you know, we have seen sentiment towards financial, personal financial conditions um, being a bit better, whereas, um, whereas, you know, expectations about the economy as a whole looking a bit different. So, current financial conditions also fell, whereas future financial conditions rose. So, you know, there's some different, some interesting stories going on there, I think. Um we saw the the Consumer Confidence Index 4.4% last week. Um, now, that was taken over the weekend. And, of course, the announcements on the state of disaster in Victoria came right towards the end of the weekend. So, you know, perhaps didn't capture the full extent of that. But we're now up to six straight weeks of declines, which matches the declines that we saw back in the first wave. So, um, and certainly the the levels aren't as low, but a lot of nervousness there and clearly nervousness outside of just Victoria.
1: Yeah, um, uh, at uh, CT Group, we've been running a tracking poll um, across half a dozen countries. Uh, So Australia, US, UK, Hong Kong, India, and more recently the UAE. And that poll is... um, it's designed to help decision makers understand their perceptions of the crisis, right? So, uh, and increasingly, it's interesting that there's a view in the Western countries that big businesses should be wearing a lot of the cost of the recovery uh, and that small businesses should be protected uh, as much as possible with policy. And I do think it's really interesting at the moment, you know, there's um, uh, for, for small businesses, particularly in Victoria, as you said, uh, Sherelle, you mentioned that just heartbreaking what has happened. Uh, to small businesses down in Melbourne. Um, you know, they uh, were starting to uh, get a, get the doors open again, starting to get customers in through the door and then just get told, sorry, you got to close it. That's it. You know, you, um, you are shutting down. Uh, and um, they've got bills to think about. They've got, you know, we're, we're not... Um, amazingly at the, the um, slow speed that 2020 appears to be moving, but we're actually going to start re- getting on the run into Christmas now. And it's just a very difficult time for, any- for everybody down there. So, um, uh, but this, um, this latest wave in the CT group tracker, right? Um, uh, that took in the, the stage three lockdowns in Victoria. And what you can see in that is a really big, uh, significant jump in the fear of redundancy in Australia. It's gone from basically one in three people worried about redundancy to um, to nearly half, right? So from the level of like 31%, 32% um, of survey respondents to 46 The other thing you'll see in there is there's deteriorating confidence that the government will be able to to, to control the virus. Uh, and increasingly, um, a large number of people expect this to be a very long-term problem, so like one to two years or or more uh and the other thing that's happened is and these are all in just the latest wave of the survey so we've been doing this since april um every couple of weeks and um only 25% of Australian respondents now say it's the right time to to end isolation. That's a number I find surprisingly low. Um, you know, that's uh, uh, 75% think it's time to continue, that we need to continue with more isolation style uh, approach to life. Um, and that number was 39% uh, in just early June, right? So, um, and, and just the one last point of it, right? So the number of people who say, government subsidies in Australia, and this brings us back to the fiscal uh, picture... A uh, number of people saying uh, government sh- subsidies should not end this year has gone up 17 points in the last survey to 46%, right? So it gives you some sense of the, uh, I suppose, the fear, um, but also the political environment, uh, the policymaking environment. There's a lot of feeling in the public, at least, um, that uh, that this is a long-term problem and the, the fiscal relief um, is going to be very much uh, necessary. Um, if anybody wants to look at that research, by the way, you can find it at uh, ctgroup.com, um, but uh, Sherelle, um this policy mix. Everybody has been in policy circles, economic circles, has been talking about this September and onwards period where we get JobKeeper 2.0. Um, there's going to be some winners and losers, no doubt, in the policy mix, um, and they've got to start coming up with a plan. There's a budget due in October. How do you, um, how do you, how do you think that's all going to shape up? <laughs>
3: Yeah, so um, it's interesting when you look at the JobKeeper, the coronavirus supplement to the JobSeeker, and then all the other pen, uh, pension payments, the boosting cash flow for employers measure, and then the household stimulus payments. Together, those are injecting about $64 billion into the economy in the third quarter. With the tapering of or ending of those policies, they will only inject $14 billion into the fourth quarter. So, that's a $50 billion difference in the economy just because of what the government is spending. That's 10% GDP, right? So, um, it's going to be pretty ugly unless we see more spending. Um, Now, I think this particular last seven days, the government has been very focused with Victoria on managing the health side, but I would suspect that we're going to start to see more policies dribbled out towards the budget on the 6th of October. Um, And then potentially on the 6th of October, we see some of the bigger picture, longer term type changes, such as the bring forward of tax cuts, more infrastructure spending, um, and then the, the sort of The the policies that are focused really on getting the economy going again once we get into that recovery phase, really at the moment, we're still kind of managing the emergency from a lot of um, perspectives. Now, I think, again, the government's shown that it's going to be pretty nimble. Um, It is going to react to the economy and what the economy looks like. Um, And so I would expect to see, you know, that we will, you know, there will be billions more coming out from Treasury, uh, you know, in the coming weeks.
0: The, and also sort of taking that back a step into the bigger picture on that, that that around that late October, November area is when phase three trials for whatever vaccine might be coming up will actually start to – we'll have some results on it. So actually putting it into, into real terms of why are we doing this, it's because we're, we're trying to prolong it potentially until – touching wood, there you go – until we see some sort of a vaccine. Um, mm. So that's about the time that we're going to start to actually have some results. If these things don't happen, then we might start to look – probably the horizon gets a little bit further away for what uh, for what it is that we need to do and then because the comfort that will come with a vaccine to the entire world will be something astonishing and something amazing but if it isn't and I still suspect that there won't be if it isn't then uh, it'll be interesting to see how far that horizon moves and to quote I believe it was Milton Friedman there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program (laughs) so uh, (laughs) these things may just be around well into 2021 and then we can start talking about writing off another year so it's um yeah so uh, do, do you see anything that's outside that Sherelle? Uh, i don't know if you sort of package in things that that, that are outside the, the the ball that we're playing but we've, vaccine. No, China, you know? I, it
3: makes a lot of sense what you said i i I I suppose that, you know, while we, if we do see a vaccine, there will be, you know, euphoria that comes with it and and hopefully, um, you know, therefore a lot of economic spending um, from the private sector as opposed to the public sector. But equally, if the vaccines prove to be unsuccessful or the disappointment on that front, uh, you know, we could see the opposite. uh, And and that's not a a scenario, obviously, that we would like to see either. Um, uh, You know, I I do think that, just just so uncertain, isn't it? You know, that's the problem. We don't know. I don't know how to read, you know, uh, vaccine trials. I don't, you know, I don't know how to sort of incorporate that. I think it's very difficult. I, I'm not even quite sure how we necessarily think about how the government's going to respond down the track because they're in the same boat that we are. They're waiting to see what happens. Um, and so, it, it really is a moving feast
1: yeah, because there's all sorts of other things involved with the vaccine. There's a rollout, there's cost, there's, um, you know, um, effectiveness, um, you know, and, and like we don't know the trials are going to have to wait, you know, if we even if there is a successful trial, is it going to be 12 or 18 months before... Um, they see it as um, safe, um, you know, that there's no medium-term um, side effects, et cetera. Um, the other bit of stimulus washing around at the moment, uh, Sherelle is um, is uh, drawdowns on super. Um, mm. You know, um, so um, like, what levels are we up to now on that? And how do you think about that factor? Because, uh, you know, this is a really interesting conversation, I think, because uh, like a lot of things, with what's happening at the moment, there's the immediate way you can cushion the blow um, uh, for people getting from one week to the next. But then Mm. with the scale of what's happening uh, at an economy-wide level, there are longer-term impacts. And I think um, just uh, uh, thinking about somebody's retirement savings is a very good way of breaking it down to how this affects um, uh, one individual. Um, But how do you think about it?
3: Yeah, it's it's a bit frightening, isn't it? Because, you know, we've had 29 nearly $30 billion um, withdrawn from superannuation and there's two, nearly 3 million people have taken some money out of super and by all accounts, many have taken everything that they've got. Uh, now obviously there's a 10,000 limit and so we're probably talking about people earlier in their career there but we can actually see that from that data that it's mainly the under 40s that are withdrawing um, from their superannuation accounts and you know those are the ones obviously that you know had the, the most to gain in a way because of course the, the time value of money so what that suggests to me is when the sort of under 40s start to retire we're, we're sitting in you know, in the situation where we have um, a, a community of retired or a retired population there that just doesn't have nearly as much financial security um, as the sort of previous generation, and that's not only because of what's happening with super withdrawals at the moment, we, we kind of knew that was happening because of demographic trends, and you know, that was a concern arose for a long time before the coronavirus. So it, it, again, it sets us up for a pretty ugly fiscal future uh, with many more people relying on the pension and all the benefits that go with that, the health benefits, etc cetera, um, less able to sustain their own retirement. Um, and, you know, I just hope that the people that have been taking super out are doing so because they absolutely have to, because I, I can't <laughs> see many good reasons, you know, to take it out any other way.
0: Well, Cheryl, it's, it's quite simple. There won't be a a, a retirement issue, provided Bitcoin goes to three hundred thousand, and <laughs> after if afterpay hits, if afterpay gets to a thousand dollars, which easily it could, then everyone who took ten thousand bucks out and bought those two things, they'll They're be fine. fine. Get on them. They'll be fine. One
1: of them. We'll all be That's having right. this
0: conversation on a boat. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, the ATO, the ATO apparently is going to start coming after people who uh, apparently have uh, have taken out their super fraudulently or illegally, or they shouldn't have done it. Which is interesting that if you slap together a policy. You start, I'm going to sound just put my David Scott persona on here, Paul. Stick with it. for a second. If you slap together a government policy and let everyone do whatever they want, and then you're going to come after them with a twelve and a half thousand dollar fine, uh, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the reversal. But they've extended the they've extended the withdrawal program in the super. I believe that yeah that, that there will be a problem that's down the track. We strongly advised people not to do so um, at our shop and doing it and and people who did did for absolute absolute good reason like there was there was strong reason for it to do so but i think that there is a large a large proportion of people who who just said that's my money
1: and i'll take it i think there's uh, there's there's absolutely no harm at all in um in talking about how this definitely would have saved some jobs now yes there's all the stories about people blowing it on gambling or buying bitcoin or whatever but people also did you know buy things for their homes um they bought cars uh cars have been flying out of the yards uh, James as uh, the guy you bought one from recently told you he said he was double doing- they were double yeah, yeah, yeah they
0: they they'd usually shift 250 and this is you know Sydney Sydney Mercedes uh, they usually shift 250 and they they were through 500 mm. in June it just amazing yeah. numbers that how how much they were moving in the same same story across the board for car sales.
1: Yeah, so except
3: in Melbourne, except in Melbourne, their figures have been pretty pretty awful. Really, <laughs> and, and and interestingly, if I can just jump in there, one of the other things that clearly is evidence of this is what's been happening with credit card spending data. So, as you know, we've been collecting um, data uh, on our own, so NZ sort of trackable spending, and that's up eight point two percent over the year. So, in the week to uh, August the first. Um, credit card spending is 8.2% higher across the country than it was a year ago. And that's clearly a reflection of what's going on with super, what's going on with government payments, probably some of the rental relief and some of the mortgage relief getting picked up there too. But, of course, we also have to consider the fact that cash is being used less. So there's, yeah. there's an element yeah. of that.
0: Tap and go. But
3: that's right. But nevertheless, um, you know, clearly there is spending going on and clearly the superannuation to some extent is paying for it.
2: I'm looking forward I, I just that. question... On that super, the, you know, the early withdrawal super, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, people have taken it out. I just question the durability of, of it as a policy. I mean, it's obviously been announced by the government as a means by which to, uh, to some degree, take the pressure off themselves. Although, you know, you, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul because you, you're foregoing it's the you same know, robbery. future... <laughs> Exactly, future pension payments and whatever else, but you know, as a means in the very short term to take some pressure off the fiscal side of it. But really the durability of it, fine, if you haven't you haven't, you know poured it all away on, on dodgy, you know, day trading and, and whatever else and expensive cars, this, that and the other, I don't know. Really, I mean how how, how far is that ten K gonna last yet? It'll it'll cover a few few months worth of rent, maybe, maybe stave off the the initial sort of loss of a job or whatever, but in, in terms of a real Durable kick, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think it's incredibly short-sighted of the government, to be honest.
3: You're sounding very much like Paul Keating there, Ken. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the greatest treasurer. Oh, hello. It's a great compliment.
3: A great compliment.
2: Thank yeah. you. I like Paul Keating. I think he's not only the the, the best treasurer the country's ever seen, but next to Hawkey, probably the best PM. So bless his cotton socks. Thank you very much. I'll take that. Mm.
0: So, <laughs>
1: so that's that's a great compliment. Well, well, I reckon. To be honest, if you put your ear to the ground, I reckon. Um, It it is quite easy to hear a a train coming for superannuation in in some form. Um, There will be changes. There will be changes. The the, the fees, I think, are are at an unsustainable level. You know, thirty billion dollars plus in fees in a country of twenty-five million uh, people. Um, you know, um, there, there, there's got to be a way, better, better way for that for that money to be deployed across the economy. So it's certainly going to be uh, interesting and I think the um, what has happened now in the last few months probably opens the door for that conversation about um, thinking yeah. about the purpose of it, the utility of it um, uh, and how it's been. Wasn't there world. a
2: Royal Commission to that end and, and how far have we come since then? They
0: put all the Royal Commission fundings on hold pending pending virus. Right, okay, gotcha.
2: <laughs> <laughs> convenient. That's oh. that's awfully convenient, uh-huh. isn't
3: it? I have to say, I mean, you know, obviously, a lot of us have seen a lot of change this year. But imagine you're sitting there managing risk in a superannuation portfolio. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, yeah, that's a different world.
2: Yours. Uh, no, no, nobody mentioned the future fund though, because apparently they live in a world of their own. But anyway, that's a different story.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, the future fund. So the future fund. Actually, just walk through the future fund on this one. The setup of the creation of the future fund was to pay the pensions of public the public service. service. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. So we, we the private citizens, have been have been asked to withdraw out of our own forced savings for our retirement. I'm just going to leave that hanging out there. No? Anyone? <laughs> interesting. Discretion.
2: Let's be honest. The future fund has, I don't know how, but I suppose under the guidance of the downers of the world and whoever else, somehow morphed into Australia's own version of a sovereign wealth fund, which frankly just boggles me. I don't know. Anyway, that, that's a... I think that could be a podcast all of its own. I, I, I want to talk more about the fiscal side of where we are and, and, and get uh, Sherelle's input. Sorry. Yeah, I, I yeah no, absolutely.
1: Uh, um, so, look, we, we haven't got much time uh, left because um, I know, Sherelle you have uh, somewhere to be, but um, the fiscal position, so you talked about, you know, uh, what is it, about $165 billion uh, next year, which was the estimate a couple of weeks ago. That is now likely to be larger. Um, so, um. Uh, we talked a bit last week about you know modern monetary theory everybody thinking about deficits differently at the moment um we're looking to 165 billion would be something like 10 percent of gdp right um uh that kind of area but is there a level at which it starts to become a worry do you think um or is there um the other way i was i think i i think about it is there like a growth rate in the, in in the debt that that Mm. where where you would start to be concerned about it or would change the, 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 the complexion of this?
3: Mm. Yeah, so it's a good question. I th- look, I think the fact that we know that most of this um, fiscal stimulus that ca- is coming through, in fact, pretty much all of it, is temporary, means that we don't need to panic too much about that. And, of course, you have to think about the counterfactual here too because had the government not spent that money, yeah, you know, we would have seen uh, revenues fall through the floor and expenses rise as everyone went on to unemployment benefits and more anyway. So, you know, we would have been in a, a very, very dire fiscal position had there not been any spending too. So, it, it's not like we really did have much of a choice. Now I'm sounding like Matthias Corman here. But – You know, we do need to sort of think about that. Now, the fact that it's temporary means that, you know, you kind of get this big surge in debt. Um, It rises to something – well, net debt rises to, you know, something close to 40% of GDP. But then, you know, it shouldn't – if if there is kind of reasonably careful fiscal management going forward when we're at the point when the economy is growing by itself again, then, you know, we should be able to sort of start to bring that back down again. So it's not like this continues to grow and grow. It's not an exponential increase. It's just temporary. And yes, it's large, but it is temporary and it should it should be manageable.
1: Um, yeah, look, it's a it's a really uh, interesting conversation, maybe around the budget, uh, which is in about three months time, uh, we can have a further um, a further chat about it. Uh, uh, that'd be great if you could come back on. Um, but I know you do have somewhere to be. Um, so, uh, Sherelle Murphy, Senior Economist at ANZ, thanks so much for coming on the show.
3: My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Uh, James Whelan uh, from VFS Group, thank you. That
0: thanks, Paul. And again, thanks Red Leaf Securities and Jane Morgan Management for having us. Uh, in a pinch, really helped us out. So cheers, guys. Uh, anyone wants any details, send me a DM.
1: Yeah, and uh, Ken uh, might be a good hot desk for you if you ever manage to make it back to uh, to Sydney. Yeah, yeah, if they ever let me back in, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, you can find us on iTunes uh, at The Bip Show. We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore bip underscore show. We're on Facebook too. Just search The Bip Show. We're all individually on Twitter too. Colgo, at James Wheelan 42 Ken Vexler and Sherelle Murphy. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate the show. Uh, We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. The show's produced by Eamon Connolly and Rick Salter, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening.